0: following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. So this morning, Philippians. We're back in Philippians, so yeah, you can reach for your Bibles. Uh, if you've got the Bible on your device, you pull that out. Find your way to the book of Philippians. That's where we're going to be. And we're working our way through this uh, letter of the Bible. We've already got through chapter 1, so that's good progress. And we're starting this morning on chapter 2, just taking a a short passage, the first four verses of Philippians 2. Here we go. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, I remember um, reading a poem, which go a short poem goes something like this: Living above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. Living below with the saints we know, now that's a different story. It's true, eh? Yeah, there's, there's something about that that I think we all feel, right? We love the vision that in heaven we're going to be. Shoulder to shoulder with all their brothers and sisters. It's going to be wonderful. Arm in arm, linking up, singing hallelujah for all of eternity. Well, those of you that like singing anyway, but we're going to be together. And it's going to be this amazing Christian community. I think we love that idea, right? But this crowd here and the person sitting next to you at home, like if you look around, like these people with all of their problems, you know, just have a look at the person next to you. There's a messy life they've got. They've got issues, man. And they're looking back at you going, you've got issues, right? You've got bad habits. You've got annoying kind of tendencies. You've got things with, about them that you don't really like. Christian community with those people, with these people, that's a different story. Isn't that so true? We love, as Christians, the ideal of Christian community. We love the idea of it. Right? You find this as students go through Bible college, by the way. They love the idea of Christian community. <laughs> the reality of it, though, you actually look around and go, oh, these people. Oh, you want me to have community with these people? Oh, that's a different story. So we're going to talk about the real this morning, not just pipe dream, not just wishful thinking, not some romanticized vision of Christian community, the real thing. That's what Paul's talking about because Christian community is always challenging, right? Let's just be honest about that. In any context, in in any era of history, building Christian community in a local church congregation is particularly challenging because churches throw together a whole lot of people which probably don't have a whole lot of other stuff in common, to be honest, other than they they love Jesus but they can be a very diverse bunch that may not otherwise have much to do with each other. But here they are, here you are, and you're expected to kind of figure it out and have relationships together and and form community together. And that's hard. It's always been hard. It was hard in Philippi. Like as you read this letter, you do get the sense that Christian community didn't come easily for these guys either. There was certainly a lot of things that the church in Philippi was doing right, good things. They were contributing to Paul's ministry. They were growing in their faith. They were growing in the knowledge of God. Good things. But one of the things that you pick up, if you've read the letter, you'll know that the relationships within the church didn't seem great. There was an open dispute, public dispute between two people in the church. Paul's going to get to that in chapter 4. It was obviously bad enough that he's naming them publicly in this letter. There were some divisions under the surface, some relational issues. There were stresses and strains, and obviously those had risen to the level where Paul feels the need to address it, which tells you that there was a certain level of seriousness to that. And so here at the beginning of chapter 2, Paul dives into it, and he tackles it head on, and he talks about what genuine Christian community looks like. And again, he's not giving us some kind of glamorized vision of Christian community, but a real boots on the ground picture of how to walk this stuff out in a local church like ours. And we need to hear it, don't we? I mean, the name of our church is Shaw Community Church, right? We've got that word in our name, right? We'd better do something about it, right? And we are, but we need to continually be called to understand and practice what genuine community looks like. So let's dive into this. I want to walk through. This passage is is short enough that we can walk through verse by verse. Let's understand what Paul's saying. He begins in verse 1 by giving us the foundation for Christian community. He says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. So interesting, isn't it? Where Where does he start? He doesn't start on the horizontal plane of human relationships, he starts on the vertical plane of our relationship with God. That's an interesting place to start. And Paul's saying if you want to have genuine community horizontally with other people, you need to have good community with God himself. That, that, that is what makes Christian community distinct. There is something particular about community among Christians that's different to you just hanging out with a bunch of friends at university or are you hanging out with a bunch of friends at work. I know it may look the same, but underneath, there is a dynamic at work that's quite particular, even quite peculiar in some ways. And it comes out of the fact that our unity comes from Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about this. He says, we belong to each other only in and through Jesus Christ. We're united with Christ and it's that unity in Jesus that then binds us to one another. The vertical always affects the horizontal. So. In this case, Paul says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. In other words, we're encouraged by Jesus. We're encouraged by his love. I hope you are. Encouraged by the fact that God loves you so much and that you have this relationship with God. That helps you encourage others. Where does the motivation to encourage one another come from? Well, it comes from the fact that God's encouraged me so much. He's encouraged me by by lifting me up from brokenness and sin and setting me. On, this, on the firm foundation of his grace. And so that encouragement, that stirs my heart. Now I'm more able to encourage my brothers and sisters. So the foundation of Christian unity is our unity with Jesus. And Paul keeps building on that foundation as he goes forth. So any encouragement from being united with Christ, then next phrase, any comfort from his love. So in other words, if you are comforted by the love of God, if you have any solace from the love of God, if, if that is a consolation to you, knowing that you are loved by God, that provides the fuel for you to be able to love your brothers and sisters. How can we genuinely love each other? Only when we know ourselves as God's beloved. Only when we know ourselves deeply, deeply loved by God. The more you do know that and really let it sink into your bones, the more natural it will be for you to show that kind of love to other people. Again, the vertical affects the horizontal, right? Then, phrase three, if any common sharing in the spirit. Now that word common sharing, we've met it before. It's the word koinonia. We came across that word. You might remember back in chapter one, when Paul was talking about the Philippians partnership in the gospel. He said, I thank God for your partnership in the gospel from the first days until now. Well, that was the same Greek word, the word koinonia. And it means to participate in something or to share in something. Back there, Paul was talking about their participation in the work of gospel ministry. Here, he's talking about their participation in the Holy Spirit, sharing together in the fellowship of the Spirit. And what that means is that the Holy Spirit is the one who binds us together. The Holy Spirit is the one who fills us as a church. You know, the Holy Spirit doesn't just fill you individually. Like, we're such individualists. This is the way we think, right? think, oh, the Holy Spirit is mine and yours, and you're filled with the Spirit, and you're filled with the Spirit. I sound like Oprah Winfrey now. You're filled with the Spirit. You're filled with the Spirit. But... The reality is the Spirit is a gift to the church, always. Holy Spirit fills us together. We share together in the gift of the Spirit. We have this fellowship with the Spirit. The more we appreciate that and enjoy that, the more we're able to have genuine fellowship with one another. So again, the vertical affects the horizontal. And finally then, Paul says, if you have any tenderness and compassion. And both of those words are words that are used of God. Paul uses those words to describe God's tenderness towards us, God's compassion towards us. And again, you can see the pattern, can't you? The more that we uh, receive God's tender love in our lives, the more that we receive God's compassion in our lives, the more natural it's going to be for you to have that same kind of tenderness with others, for you to have the same kind of compassion towards brothers and sisters in Christ. So always, 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 the foundation of our Christian unity is going to be our relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit. And, and just to extrapolate from this, I don't, I don't mean to be too harsh here, but if you have a problem loving your brothers and sisters, if you have a problem encouraging other people, if you struggle to show compassion to other people, it might be that the problem is on the vertical axis. It might be that what needs to happen is you come back and ask, well, am I being encouraged by the love of God? Am I really anchoring my life in his love, in his tenderness, in his compassion? Because the more that is taking place in our lives, the more this will be the logical outworking of our relationships. So the vertical always affects the horizontal. And that's the foundation of Christian unity. It's our unity with Jesus, unity with the triune God. Now, having built the foundation, Paul then starts building on top of it. So, he goes on in verse 2. He gives us he, he describes here the wholeness of Christian community, the, the holistic nature of Christian community. He says, "Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind." Now, this is genius what Paul's doing here. He's saying, first of all, Have the same mind. Be like-minded. That doesn't mean having the same opinions, by the way. Doesn't mean everyone thinks the same. Doesn't mean uniformity. But it means even though we can have diverse opinions on things, we have one mind underneath all of that. And that's the mind of Christ. Paul's going to unpack the mind of Christ in the next passage. We're going to look at that next week, talking about Jesus. But for now, he just mentions this common mind that we are to have. And then he says, have the same love. So that's about our heart. The same love towards one another, that we love each other in genuine ways with agape love, this kind of self-sacrificing love. And then he says, being one-souled or being joined together in spirit, but literally the phrase is to be one-souled, one in soul. And that's what's happening in, in, in community between brothers and sisters. This is what's unique about community and friendship between two Christians. If you're, if you're having a coffee, with your non-Christian friend, and, and I, I don't say this disrespectfully to you if you're a non-Christian. I just want you to understand the dynamics. If you're if you're a Christian, you're having a coffee with a non-Christian, that's good social time. That's good community. But if you're having that same coffee, even if it's really bad coffee, with another Christian, there is something going on there where your souls are being joined together. There is something there where you're, there's an intermingling of souls. You might not sense it. You might not know it. You might not feel it but there is an intermingling of souls that happen when believers relate to each other because they're bound together by their common love of Jesus. There is a difference there. It's why Jesus says, when two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. He's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. So if you step back from that verse, you see the picture Paul is saying Christian community involves our mind, it involves our heart, it involves our soul. In other words, Christian community involves all of us. It's going to take all of you, right? Christian community is like the hokey-tokey. you got to put your whole self in, right? Don't leave your whole self out. Put your whole self in and shake it all about. Come on. That's what we've got to do. We've actually got to be willing to put our whole self into a relationship because we're not very good at this, are we? We live in the age of image management, Right, where we are so concerned, I mean people always have been, but I think particularly today, so concerned with what everyone else thinks of us, we'll always hold parts of ourselves back. We'll always present the nice parts and construct this well-manufactured image of ourselves, whether online or we do it in person, right? I know you know how this works, right? You walk in here, you're not just wearing a face mask, you're wearing another kind of mask. Is that true? We all wear a bit of a mask, don't we? COVID or not. And it's a mask of like, I, I know what I want to show you. And I'm going to walk in here with my happy Christian face on and my nice Sunday church face on, even though I had a big fight with my family in the car on the way here, probably going to have another one on the way home. But hey, we're just going to have happy time Christian face on. We know how to play the game, right? We know how to mask up physically and emotionally. And we do this all the time. What you end up with, if that's all we're going to do here, what we're going to end up with is fake community. What we're end up with is this pseudo-community which is shallow, superficial, and hollow. It's no substitute for the real thing. What we want, and I think we desire this at a deep level, don't we? Is something more real than that. Don't we hunger for it? We struggle to do it because we don't want to be that vulnerable with each other, but I think there's a part of us that craves it, to genuinely have a family. One of my favorite writers is a guy named Henry Nowen. He was a well-known academic, worked at uh, some prestigious universities in the U.S., Harvard, Notre Dame, Yale. And at the height of his academic career, he left all that, and he went and lived in a community of disabled people, severely physically, intellectually disabled people. And he lived out his life in that place. Well, one day, one of the residents in that community, a guy named Trevor, he was taken to a psychiatric hospital for treatment. And uh, Henry went and visited him in that hospital. Well, the hospital heard that Henry was coming, and they wanted to put on a big lunch for him because, you know, Henry was quite a well-known guy. And so the hospital put on this lunch there. All of their top staff were there. There were people with PhDs and MDs and all sorts of uh, distinguished titles. And so here's this room of really well-known and glamorous and intellectual people, and there's Trevor in the middle of the room. And in the middle of lunch... Henry Nowen was so engrossed in conversation, he didn't see beside him. Trevor gets to his feet and raises his glass of Coke and starts to propose a toast. And he says, I'd like to sing. And he proceeds to sing. If you're happy and you know it, raise your glass. (laughs) Everyone's looking at him like bewildered. It feels so awkward. People don't know what's going on, don't know what to do. Well, about halfway through, people start to join in. Start to sing along. By the end of the verse, everyone's singing. If you're happy and you know it, raise your glass. The person who was there who recounts these things said, you know, Henry Nowen gave a great speech after lunch, but that's not what people remembered. What people remembered and treasured about that was Trevor. Singing and leading everyone in this beautiful song, and this beautiful toast. I think we have so much to learn from physically and intellectually disabled people. You, you know this, those of you that have these, these special people in your family, in your friendship circles, they are so beautifully uninhibited, aren't they? They know how to give their whole selves in relationship because they don't have this pretense that we do where we keep part of ourselves back and put part of ourselves forward. They just, they just love you. And they just willingly jump into relationship and friendship with you in this innocent and uninhibited way. They know something about Christian community, I think, that we don't know. You know, and the irony is we, we think that, that we are the able-bodied, able-minded ones, and they are the disabled ones. And yet we carry often the spiritual disability because we have this mask on all the time. Those with special needs, I think, show us a lot about what real relationship looks like got a lot to learn from them about entering into a relationship in a way that's genuine, where I'm willing to be real with you. And I'm not talking about coming into church and saying, hey, everyone, I want to confess my top 10 sins today so that I'm going to be real with everyone. No, I know there's different levels of relationship within the church. You can't possibly have a deep relationship with everyone here. But we can still have this posture where when we do walk into these gatherings, we come with an open heart and an open spirit towards others, ready to be real, right, ready to let the guard down a little bit. And we can certainly be willing when we're in life groups, when we're in home groups, when we're in smaller settings, to be totally real with people, to be vulnerable, to be, to be open. To, to, we've got to be willing to love others and be loved, to, to know others and be known by them, to care for others and be cared for. Sometimes that's the hardest part, I think, especially among middle-class Christians, to be cared for. Can come pretty slowly for some of us. But only when we're willing to do that, really put our whole selves in, mind, heart, and soul, are we going to start to taste what Paul's talking about here? So there is a beautiful holistic nature to Christian community, but it doesn't come easily or naturally. And so then in verse 3 and 4, Paul talks about the practice of Christian community. What, is it, what does it look to look like to, to live this out? In verse 3, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Selfish ambition means rivalry, like seeking to take power over someone. Vain conceit means seeking to make ourselves look better than we are, puffing up our own pride. It's amazing, isn't it, that this was written 2,000 years ago. Some things don't change. I mean, he could have written this yesterday, right? sounds like he's talking about social media. You know, this just, it, doesn't it just show you something about the human heart? which is that fundamentally, fundamentally we are all just totally selfish, that in relationships you can, be, you can be relating to someone practically in a healthy way, but underneath your motives can be rotten. You can be, you can be acting out of selfish ambition. You can be acting out of just a desire to puff yourself up and make yourself look better. We can be having all these power plays within relationships, even while on the surface, we might be doing the right things, but we're doing them for the wrong reasons, just to get ahead or use people or prove that we're better than someone else. Our motives can be rotten to the core. That's because fundamentally, we're all a bunch of narcissists. That's the issue, you know. This is like, this is not a church meeting this morning. This is Narcissists Anonymous. This is who we are. Hi, I'm Ruben, and I'm a Narcissist that we've actually got to recognize that we are just such self-absorbed people. Come on, let's just be honest, can we? Can we let the mask down a little bit, the emotional mask, I mean? You know, we are just so selfish to the core. We struggle to see past our own noses, struggle to get out of our own heads, struggle to think about anything, but my world, my stuff, my agenda, what's going on in my life, my friends, my issues, my things. We just are in this insular world. We're just utterly narcissistic people. And we've got to ask for the help of the Holy Spirit and starting to move beyond that, starting to move from being a narcissist to at least being a recovering narcissist, right? Like an alcoholic, you know, always a recovering alcoholic, no matter how long it's been since the last drink. Let's at least try and be recovering narcissists where we can start look a bit further than our own nose and tune into some people around us and act out of motives that are selfless rather than selfish. There's a guy named David Brooks, who's a well-known columnist, writer, in the uh, New York Times. And he he wrote a book called The Second Mountain. He talks in that book about how life's made up of these two mountains. The first mountain is the one that's all about you. And that's the mountain most people climb in life. It's about building your empire. It's about achieving your goals. It's about fulfilling your dreams. It's about accomplishing and it's about achieving and it's fundamentally about you. He says some people realize that there is a second mountain. Either because they get to the top of the first mountain and they find it totally unsatisfying or they fall off the first mountain or whatever happens and they get a glimpse of a second mountain. And it's a better mountain and it's a more majestic mountain but it's a mountain that's not about me. It's about other people. He says this, let me read you a quote. If the first mountain is about building up the ego and defining the self, the second mountain is about shedding the ego and losing the self. If the first mountain is about acquisition, the second mountain is about contribution. If the first mountain is elitist, moving up, the second mountain is egalitarian, planting yourself Amid those who need and walking arm in arm with them. This is who we want to be. We want to be a second mountain church. Right? Could we be that? Could we be those that aren't just all about climbing the first mountain and just building a name for ourselves and building some kind of personal legacy? But those who start to believe our real purpose in life is not about me, it's about others. It's like the first line of that Rick Warren book, The Purpose Driven Life. I don't know about the rest of the book, but the first few words are great. He says, it's not about you. That's the start of the book. Like, man, that's that's worth the price of the book there. It's not about you. Get outside your own head for a while and start to tune into the needs of others. Now, what this is going to take, Paul tells us, here's the magic ingredient that Christian community needs, if it's going to be Christian community. Uh, in the second half of verse 3, rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Christian community must involve humility. That is an essential ingredient. If there is not humility within the body of Christ and each individual member, uh, unity, community cannot exist. It simply cannot. Leonard Ravenhill says, church unity requires corporate humility. What that means is if we're gonna be a united congregation, we each need to have this posture of not looking at ourselves, not being fundamentally concerned with ourselves, but looking towards the needs and the interests and the lives and the concerns of others. Without that, we'll never achieve real unity. So then you ask the question, well, what is, what is humility then? What does it mean to really be to be humble and to have this kind of spirit of, of humility? Sometimes I think we, we, we imagine that humility is kind of pushing myself down, like I've got a kind of, be lower so that you can be high. I've got, to, I've got to sort of value myself less. I've got to have a low view of myself, like taking this kind of worm mentality so that I can see you as being in, uh, superior. Humility is not like that at all. It's not this kind of self-rejection. It's not hating yourself. My favorite quote on humility comes from C.S. Lewis. He says, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. That's brilliant. It's not thinking less of yourself, but simply thinking of yourself less. How about we all just do that? We just think of ourselves a little bit less and think of other people a little bit more. That works in conversation, doesn't it? You could, you could try this out even while you're having morning tea this morning or in your home churches or when you're having lunch. When you're in conversation with people, how about thinking about yourself a bit less? And tuning in, like starting to be attentive to the needs of this person who is there in front of you. What's going on in their world? What is happening for them? What are some of the struggles that that they are wrestling with? And I know you feel like, but I've got my problems. I've got my issues. Someone needs to care for me. Someone needs to talk to me. Yeah, but they're feeling that too. The only way that unity works is when we both start getting outside of our heads and tuning into the other person. So you go first. You take the step. You initiate that and start asking good questions. Take the role of an interviewer. And ask the other person and draw them out about what's happening in their world and in their life. It'll be a massive encouragement to that person to have someone else take a genuine interest. And it's got to be genuine. A genuine interest in what's happening in their world. And we do this in practical ways through thinking about the needs of people around us and how we can serve. This is already happening in our church. I think we've got good momentum in this area. Think about some of the things that are happening recently. Uh, I think of a guy in our church who's, uh, who approached a member of the staff team when you know, Omicron was going crazy. And he said, could I be involved in delivering meals to people who were in need? And so he, he did. He took a meal up to kumiyu way, way, way out of, out of his way. But he did it because he had an attitude of selflessness and a desire to serve other people and a desire to do what Paul says, to put the interests of the other ahead of of ourselves. So often, we're just concerned with our interests, my interests, my world. But there's a guy who was thinking about other people. I think of a woman in the church who regularly makes meals for people in the church and meals for people in her neighborhood. She's putting the interests of others ahead of herself. Just think in your own context. I can't make the, the connect all the dots for all of you, but you think, what is one way this week you could put the interests of other people ahead of yourself? What is one way this week you could serve? Serve someone else within our church community to show humility and look out for their needs and serve them. Something practical, maybe just encouraging someone, maybe just letting them know that you're praying for them. You think about what that is. I know you're all busy. I know. I know all the excuses in your minds right now about why you can't possibly do this and it's all too hard and what about my needs and don't you know how time poor I am and I've got my issues going on. I know you've got issues. But just get outside your own head for a little while And this will do you a world of good because it gets you outside of your own problems and it gets you outside of your own insular thinking and it gets you into the world that Christ wants you to inhabit, the world of the other, to be a little bit less self-preoccupied and a little bit more other-centered. So you think about just one way this week that you could serve, that you could love, that you could bless, even amidst all the busyness of life, that's going on. How could you just take a first step? As we all do this, it's going to be a million little ways. It's going to be a thousand little conversations, but it all builds towards greater church unity and genuine Christian community. It's not about the big dramatic gestures. It's about a million really ordinary things done by ordinary people to serve and love others and build up the body of Christ. So living below with the saints we know may not be so bad. It's, going to, it's still going to take effort, right? Let's not pretend. It's all, Christian community is always going to be hard work. We, you can't make apologies for that. It's the reality of having broken, sinful people with all of their stuff thrown together in a congregation. But the more that we are receiving encouragement, love, comfort, tenderness, and compassion from God, the more natural it will be to put our whole self, into relationships with one another in this church and to walk that out through humility, practical serving, and loving one another. Let's not settle for some kind of fake version of Christian community this year. Let's not be content with that. Let's be a church that's real, a church that's authentic. Let's become a real family. Let's pray. God, we hear your word this morning and... I pray that it would sink in deeply to our hearts. I pray, God, that where we need to be challenged, you would challenge us now. Lord, it's easy to look the other way and it's easy to make excuses, but our desire, God, as a church and as individuals within this church is that we would be a genuine community, a genuine family, and that we would pursue unity. God, show us now, we pray, bring it to our minds, what step you would have us take. Lord, help us not to wait for everyone else and to... See ourselves as the one who, who needs others to serve us, but to follow you, Jesus, and being the one to serve and being the one to go and being the one to take the first step. Lord, change our hearts. We just we sense it this morning. Our hearts are so unbelievably selfish. But We pray, God, that you would turn us outward towards one another. And we thank you that that's who you are to us. That's who you have been to us and you continue to be. Just so focused on loving us, lifting us up, and being patient with us. Help us to show something of that same love to one another and build and strengthen our unity as a church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shore.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.